but it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave to all. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the principle here, the master's master principle, if you would, is that if you seek to have influence, if you seek to perhaps be a better leader, it's going to look like servanthood. It's going to look like sacrifice, especially if you're doing it for the glory of God. It's going to look like you pouring out your life for the betterment, not only uh, for the cause, but also for the betterment of the people who are on your team. So we thought about what it looks like to view our own sphere of influence through the lens of service to others. And today, I want us to take a step back and consider the cause itself. Last week, I asked everyone uh, to think of a leader, thought of a leader in your life, someone who was worth following And we said, if there's a mission that's worth having with a goal that's worth pursuing, then leadership with integrity is worth demanding. You can tweet that. Today, though, I want us to take a moment and think about the mission, to think about the job. Think about your purpose. Think about the things in which you are engaged in, which build for the kingdom of God. Now, N.T. Wright gives us an extremely important principle here. He reminds us that we need to be clear on at least one crucial, critical point before entering a discussion about God's kingdom and our work in it, and that is that God builds God's kingdom. He said, Wright says, believe me, there's nothing more disastrous than people thinking that they can build the kingdom of God by their own efforts. We may be in a position to build for God's kingdom, but make no mistake, he is in charge. Still, Wright reminds us, God ordered his world in such a way that his own work in that world takes place through one of his creatures. The human beings who reflect his image. That, I believe, is, the, is central to the notion of being made in God's image. God intends that his wise, creative, loving presence and power to be reflected or imaged, if you like, into his world through human creatures. He has enlisted us to act as stewards in the project of creation. You might remember uh, a few months ago, earlier this year, we talked about Sabbath. And we talked about the image of God we receive in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. See, God, we said, didn't just create the world that was like static. He didn't just create a world that was like there and perfect in the sense that it was nice and completed with finely shaped corners that aren't to be touched by slimy human hands. No, God created a dynamic world that moves as light gives way to life. When God created plants, he says, let the earth put forth vegetation, planting uh, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with seed in it. I mean, 
think about it, what does it say about God? That when he created fruits and vegetables that in themselves, for humans at least, offer health and wellness and sustenance and life, that he created them with the ability to reproduce in the environment that he created. Sometimes we take for granted how beautiful that story is. It's a theologically rich uh, story, of course, but, you know, the truth is it's also a scientifically rich story and that we're given this ancient story of God's active, ongoing creation that we have been placed in the midst of. When God creates humanity, we are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. When we look at the opening chapters of Genesis and see the work that God is doing in and through this incredible world, there is something in that that we emulate and and mirror back to creation as if we are partnering with God, following God as we continue his work of ongoing creativity and ongoing dynamic love and life. In Genesis 2.15, We read that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Now remember, we are still a chapter away from sin entering this story. Now after sin comes into play, God curses the ground and tells the man that in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, and by the sweat of your brow, by the sweat of your face, you're going to eat bread. And these consequences, they're the, they're, these comments are the consequences of Adam's sin. But back in Genesis 2.15, when God tells Adam that he is to till the land, that he is to keep the land, that comment? That comment wasn't the consequence of sin. That comment was the consequence of him being created in the image and likeness likeness of God. And here's the thing. In Christ, that image and likeness is being restored. In Christ, we're free to till and keep the garden of this earth as we build for the kingdom of God, which Jesus has announced is at hand. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of your own doing. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. And it's not the result of all the great things that you're doing. It's not a result of works. So that none of you should feel the the need to boast about this. It's all grace. It's all a gift. But Paul says this. He says, for we are what he has made us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works, which God prepared to be our way of life. You see, in Christ, we have been given the great gift of salvation, not because we've done this work uh, to perfection, but because Jesus has. In Jesus, we are given the freedom to live We're given the freedom to live into the work that God has prepared for us. In Christ, we can return to the call of Genesis 2.15. Tilling and keeping are, of course, gardening terms. In In a few weeks, we're going to talk about the practice of pruning. But for now, I want us to think about how we're engaged in tilling and keeping that little corner of earth in which God has placed us. 
To garden something means to shape something that is, that is natural. There will inevitably be forces at play even in a backyard garden which are out of your control because that's just the way the world works. There are things that we can do, though, to help shepherd things in the right direction. These are things that we can do to guide the vegetables in such a way that they uh, make this garden worthwhile, worth our time, that they produce the, 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 the things that we wanted to produce. In essence, we can work towards creating an environment conducive to growth. Now, my question is, is that what you and I, are doing in the activities that we find ourselves in. Is the, is, would you say that that's what you're doing at, at your job, uh, working towards an environment conducive to growth? Is that what you're doing at your school? Is that what you're doing with your kids? Is that what you're doing at your church? As far as it depends on you, would you say that you are operating in your sphere of influence with the choices that you can make in a way that is creating an environment conducive to the sort of growth that you hope to see for that particular environment? Let's start simple. Let's say you decide to start a lemonade stand. Now, who here has ever done a lemonade stand in their front yard? Very good. On a hot, light, hot day like today, lemonade is a refreshing beverage, and many people enjoy it and often wouldn't mind paying a buck for it. Now, for the moment, we're going to keep taxes and local food and beverage licenses off the table. And we'll say that it would make perfect sense that a person, presumably a fairly young person, would desire to engage in this sort of activity in order to maybe make a little bit of money. Nothing wrong with making money from the activities in which we engage. In fact, most times, not, certainly not all the time, but most times we should expect to earn money from our work. It's also not inappropriate to expect that there would be a correlation between the quality of the product and the amount of money earned. In fact, if you were charging money for your lemonade, for your lemonade all the more reason that you would want to offer the best darn lemonade that you could muster. So... How would a Christ follower operate a lemonade stand? Well, for starters, you'd want to dedicate yourself to offering a quality product. Did you spend the appropriate amount of time preparing that lemonade? Is it a product that you yourself would buy for the amount of money that you're charging? You might dedicate yourself to serving your customers with kindness and smiles Asking them how their day was going, wishing them well. You might even decide to discipline yourself that every time someone bought a cup of lemonade that you maybe would say a silent prayer for them as they walked away. If you wanted to take it further, you could start to consider the integrity of your source material. Would you be making your lemonade from scratch? That wouldn't be a bad idea if you were so inclined. Or if you were preparing lemonade from a mix, would you, what do you know about the company that made it? Out of curiosity, in preparation for this sermon, I spent some time on the website for Country Time Lemonade, which markets itself as the official lemonade of lemonade stands, and found out that their company is involved in supporting a foundation dedicated to fighting childhood cancer. 
Perhaps you dedicate a portion of your proceeds, or all of your proceeds for that matter, to such a cause. Uh, We could go on, but I digress. The bottom line is that as a Christ follower, there are choices that you could make regarding your lemonade stand that would create an environment conducive to kingdom growth. In a sense, you would be tilling and keeping that little garden that is your lemonade stand. Now, How much of what I just said about lemonade stands could be applied to Christians in the larger marketplace, in the business world? All of it is the right answer. How can you glorify God at your job? By being an exemplary employee is the simple answer. Or we could change the environment slightly. And we could ask how a person would glorify God in their school. Simply put, by being the best student that you could be. I had an English teacher in high school who was openly hostile to the Christian faith. We probably all had an English teacher in high school that was openly hostile to the English faith. He took every opportunity he could to remind us that faith is ridiculous, especially Christian faith. And, of course, this, as a young Christian, made me very frustrated. It made me mad. And as a teenager who was still trying to figure this whole world out, I'll confess that I made some choices in that class that I am not proud of today because I wanted to challenge him on his beliefs and I dove into unnecessary fights that were far more about my pride than God's glory. And I tell you that some days I did get better than others. My best days in that class were when I found myself being kind When I found myself being respectful, when I found myself being on task to the assignment. And the truth is that from that ground, I was far more suited to be a witness for Christ. Our influence can be such a powerful thing if we allow God to shape and to guide it as he calls us to till and keep the gardens in which he has placed us. He is at the same time tilling and keeping the gardens which are us. Because the incredible thing about following our God is that in him we are not defined by our past. In him we are defined by his future. Ultimately, he is guiding his creation towards what Amy said, cosmic reconciliation. And our call is to live into that freedom. Knowing that he will redeem our failures, that he is going to bring peace even to the most difficult seasons of our life. Not just because he can, but because he did. If you're looking for some summer reading that would complement this series, I strongly recommend Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. It's a book about connecting your work to God's work. In it, he talks about this freedom that we have under God's guidance for our work. He says that the problem is that modern folks like to think of freedom as absence of restraints. But that, that's just not reality. He says, think of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it is free only if it is restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put out maybe on the grass to explore, its freedom 
to move and is soon and even uh, is freedom to move and even to live is soon destroyed. The fish is not more free. He's less free when he's out of the water. If it cannot honor the reality of its nature, see, the same is true for many areas of our life. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones. Those that fit within the realities of our own nature and those of the world. You see, in this light, God's commandments, God's teaching, Jesus' teaching, things like love God, love your neighbor, these commandments, they're not restrictions to our freedom. They are instead a guidebook to liberation. It may take energy. It may take difficult work. It may take pruning. It may take guidance. It may take discipline to order your life and make those choices that are going to be necessary to have Christ-honoring choices in your job, in your school, in your church. But you know what? Dishonesty and laziness, vulgarity, I don't know, actually, the more I think about it, they carry far more weightier burdens to live your life each day hoping that nobody notices that you're only treading water at best. That's no way to live. It's not the abundant life that God has called us to. And it's certainly not freedom. You see, the, finally, the, all of this points towards the purpose that God would have for our life. There's a quote that's misattributed to Mark Twain that says, in effect, that the two most important days of anybody's life are the day they were born and the day that they discover why. Quote is far too sentimental to be from Twain's pen. But I do like the principle that declares that at some point in our life, following God's lead, we're able to grab hold of a passion and work towards bettering ourselves for the purposes of that particular cause. One of the challenges of talking about things like passion and purpose is that we can fall for the lie that the best and perhaps most holy work that is being done in the world is adventurous and daring and maybe even perhaps a little bit dangerous. And we hear about this person who feels that their life's purpose is to go out and, and build wells in Africa. And we perf up and we, oh wow, now there's a servant of the Lord. I wouldn't doubt that they were. This person has seen that there are far too many people in this world that don't have access to clean drinking water, and they're making it their business to address it because they know that it makes Jesus very upset. But thing is, I can say that I think that perhaps the most extraordinary things, when I keep my eyes open, when I spend time with my friends, when I spend time in our community, I'm going to say that the most extraordinary things that we could be doing to actively serve God's kingdom are actually quite ordinary. I love being a father, especially from Baltimore, because I get to point to Cal Ripken as a hero, not just because he was a great baseball player, but because this man holds the record for showing up to work 2,632 times for 2,632 games over the course of 16 consecutive seasons. I love that Ripken was an incredible shortstop, but as a dad, 
The thing that I want to point out to James is that here's a guy who showed up for work day in and day out, even when he didn't feel like it. He got up, he prepared for the day, he went out and he did his job. He did his job with humility. He did his job with dedication. That's the kind of influence that I want to pay attention to. That's the kind of influence that I want to talk to my son about. I'm so very glad that we were support. Remarkable ministries that do extraordinary things all over the world. The, the things that we prayed for this morning. I mean, I think about um, the person we're not supposed to mention uh, on, on the recordings. Who goes into, because it's, it's dangerous for him to go through, um, for, to be Googled. Anyway, uh, Kingdom Reign. Kingdom Reign is an organization which equips leaders in the, most, in the areas of the world which are most hostile to the gospel. He actually says, like, give me those areas of the world where Christianity is the most against the law or against popular, you know, waves. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go plant a church. I mean, that's incredible. That's remarkable. I love that we support that. Their purpose and their passion is much needed in this broken world. But you want to know what else I think we need? I think we need Christian men and women who prioritize things like prayer, who prioritize things like Bible study and worship and house church, who prioritize things like giving generously, giving sacrificially, offering themselves in service sacrificially to others, people who spend time at local food pantries, people who get up in the morning and do devotional times, people that have dedicated themselves to the little choices, to the little things that we could make all throughout the day, not necessarily that the fact that I went to Africa and I built a well, or that I gave all kinds of money to some great and awesome organization. That stuff is wonderful, but sometimes we feel like if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing holy work, and that's just a lie. The opportunities that each and every one of us have to do kingdom work is pregnant in every choice that we make throughout the day. Where are we in our jobs? Where are we are in our schools? What kind of students are we? What kind of employees are we? These are the things that I think we should be considering when we talk about the sphere of influence that we have over the environments in which God has placed us. I know something of the remarkable integrity of you all that are in this room. I can look around this room and I just can think about where you're spending your time and where you're spending your talent, where you're spending your treasure I can see the faces in this room, and I know that you guys are in incredible places. You're in remarkable places. You have remarkable opportunities to be builders for the kingdom in the places where you go. And I just want our church to be a place where that fire is fueled, where you feel equipped, where you feel inspired, right alongside worshiping our king. Let's pray. Father, you have given us this garden to till and keep. Take us through this for a moment. Monday morning, tomorrow morning, we're going to get up and we're going to go do something. We're going to sit in an office. We're going to listen to a lecture. We're going to, I don't know. 
Any number of things that we could be doing, what are the choices that we could make starting Monday morning to help our sphere of influence create an environment conducive to kingdom growth? What's the language that you would want us to use? What are the choices um, that you would want us to make in our actions? What are the things that you would say, you know what, that, that needs to wait until you're af- off of work? Speak to us, Father, and remind us of how we're making these choices throughout our day, how we're making them throughout the week. Give us the courage to say when we need to stop, when we need to put down our work, and when we need to enjoy time with family, when we need to Sabbath, when we need to worship. Help guide us in that direction, too, to know when we need to put down this purpose, when we need to put down this work. And then when we need to put it, pick it back up again. Help us do, to do all of this in a way that seeks first your kingdom and builds for that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven because that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing in our midst and how incredible it is that we get to follow your lead, partnering through us so that your glory can reach the far ends of the, worth, uh, far ends of the earth in and through your church. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.